This episode of Industry Focus is supported by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, today at netsuite.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, December 5th, and we're discussing LNG. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Molly Fool contributor Jason Hall via Skype. How's it going, Jason? Hey, how you doing, Nick? I'm doing okay. Uh, just for our listeners, we are pre-recording uh, this show on November 21st, so some things may have changed. Uh, this LNG LNG story, though, is is really long term, so probably not a ton has changed on the thesis that we're going to talk about today. No. Uh, just off the top of the show, Jason, for folks who aren't familiar with what LNG is, what does it stand for, and what is it? Liquefied natural gas. Um, which is not natural gas liquids. Let's let's say what it's not first. Natural gas liquids are things like isobutane, propane, and that kind of stuff. Liquefied natural gas is natural gas that at ambient temperature is a gas. It's gaseous. Here's the thing. If you want to transport a large amount of it in terms of energy energy quantity, you want to transfer transfer a large amount of it. When you liquefy it, you supercool it to like, what, 260 below zero or something like that. And it becomes much, much more dense. So then it makes it a lot easier to get a lot of it in remote locations. Or if you want to, say, get some to Japan, where they don't have a lot of natural resources, um, you liquefy it. And, um, and, and that's how you do it, because it makes it much, much smaller and much more dense in terms of its energy density. Um, kind of where this fits into the, the energy future is, as, as everybody's noticed, uh, coal's kind of losing its luster, um, even nuclear in a lot of places because of the perceived uh, environmental risk, uh, disaster risk. Um, a lot of places in the world are starting to move away from, from nuclear. Uh, it just so happens that North America has like a century's worth, probably a century and a half's worth of, of natural gas. And uh, there are a lot of companies that are working on building large-scale liquefaction uh, facilities to turn this natural gas into a liquid, put it on container ships, and send it to the demand centers in the world like Southeast Asia, uh, Japan, uh, mainland China is going to be a big uh, demand source for it. So yeah, huge, huge potential. Yeah, you mentioned you know the, the amount of supplies of natural gas in the U.S. We've discussed uh, in the past on this show about how fracking, you know, the advent of that technology really released huge amounts of hydrocarbons that you know we just couldn't get access to before and natural gas has been a huge part of that uh, and that's why we really expect some some massive growth uh, in the space going forward some analysts are expecting the global LNG market to grow at a 4% annual rate through 2035 you're going to say 4% that's not that much when we're talking about the global energy market that is a massive uh, uh, growth rate year over year and the US is going to be a huge part of that uh, where the U.S. is expected to become uh, the world's largest exporter uh, of LNG uh, within five years, we're currently the third largest exporter. It wasn't a long t- it wasn't long ago that you know we didn't we weren't even a rounding error uh, when it came to uh, uh, to part of that business. Um, uh, global deliveries to U.S. LNG gas terminals hit a record in 2019, and that is really expected to continue uh, to grow. Uh, you mentioned. Um, you know, kind of growing natural gas demand. A big part of that is just emissions. Uh, when you look at, at natural gas, uh, it's about 
45 to 55% cleaner than coal. So uh, obviously a huge push for a cleaner environment. We have this massive supply available. And then another important aspect of this, Jason, that I want you to touch on a little bit is this, uh, because we have such a huge supply of natural gas in the U.S. right now, prices in the U.S. are significantly lower uh, than the global uh, average prices, global benchmark prices, which creates an opportunity for these LNG exporters. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too. The 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 price aspect of it is is you know a couple things. Obviously, fracking and our, you know our ability to get into shale uh, and release these these hydrocarbons um, is has been a tremendous boom. Um, and and it's it's driven you know driven the cost down substantially. But another thing that's happened is it it's that's driven the prices down. It's not just it's not just the production of, of gas, natural gas itself, that's driven it down. Uh, that you have associated gas. So, for example, we'll use the Permian uh, in Texas, this massive – really, it's known mainly for its oil. Um, it's one of the largest uh, oil reserves in the world now. Um, there's a tremendous amount of associated natural gas that oil drillers are producing just that's coming up when they when they p- produce the, uh, the oil. I mean, there's so much that um, a lot of it's getting flared – um, because there's there's not even enough infrastructure to bring that natural gas to market, but the gas that they are bringing to market has def- it's pushed the prices down so low that natural gas producers are begging and screaming for for these export facilities to get built simply so they can so they the mar- they can get access to the markets to help them realize better returns for their gas. Uh, one thing too, it's it's not just um, the environmental benefits of, of, of gas that's driving demand around the world. Um, if I'm a utility, um, I would much rather, um, operate a natural gas, um, uh, power plant than a, than a coal plant because it's so much cheaper to maintain it. It requires less maintenance. Um, the feedstocks are a little bit more predictable to get. You don't have to, you know, have these, you know, miles and miles of uh, coal cars lined up. Uh, it's just getting the gas. It's, it's a more predictable source of fuel um, and your operating costs beyond the cost of the fuel itself, but the actual cost to operate and maintain the facility are far, far lower. So there's a lot of operational benefits um, and cost benefits on top of it just being a cleaner fuel. So it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a winning fuel versus coal um, beyond the environmental benefits. Sure. And I think one other thing that maybe we should mention as well, uh, natural gas versus coal, is just how quickly you can bring power production online and offline with a natural gas plant. You can really do it yep. very quickly. For a coal plant, you need to be running that plant almost constantly uh, to be cost effective. And as we see continued growth of renewables, that role for natural gas to kind of fill in the gaps where renewables can't fill in really creates an opportunity. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Jason? Yeah, I think I think over the long term, that's where that's where natural gas is really going to be a big a big winner. Uh, there's there are also some applications like uh, yeah, petrochemicals for manufacturing fertilizers and 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 plastics and lots of other things. But but really, it's going to boil down to the 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 ability for uh, grid operators to generate a baseload of power uh, when you're not getting energy from renewables. But also a real problem with uh, especially solar. Is at the you know at the end of the day when the sun starts to go down and solar production just falls off a cliff, uh, corresponds to when people are getting home from work and they're kicking on their air conditioners or turning their heaters up. Um, so power demand surges um, right when uh, power supply from from solar falls off. 
So you need the ability to, to meet that peak demand. And this is exactly what you were talking about with uh, natural gas is these peaker plants, these, these plants that can be quickly ramped up to generate electricity to meet that peak demand um, right when you're losing a key source of supply that's only going to grow in the form of solar. So, uh, so yeah, natural gas is just, it's a, it's a, it's a fuel that's going to have legs for a long, long time because of its affordability, uh, its better environmental profile. Um, and it's a more flexible, it, it allows them to be more flexible with the facilities that they generate power from. Yeah, exactly. That's created the opportunity for these exporters to spread between supply in the U.S. and, and prices overseas. In addition to, the, to these big increases in demand uh, driven by all these benefits, creates an opportunity for businesses. And on the back half of the show, we're going to talk about businesses that you might be able to invest in to get exposure to this trend. But first, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is their hodgepodge of business systems. They have one system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. It's just a big inefficient mess taking up too much time and too many resources, and that hurts the bottom line. That's why we're introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles your entire business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded hassle by managing sales and accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com fool. That's netsuite.com fool to download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. Okay, Jason, so here on the back half of the show, I want to talk a little bit about the different ways that folks can invest to get exposure uh, to liquefied natural gas. So we're going to talk about kind of three broad categories, so pure play exporters, picks and shovels, and then more broad uh, exposure, uh, integrated majors, uh, midstream companies that all have uh, exposure uh, to liquefied natural gas. But first, let's talk about these pure play exporters. Uh, just First off, what are, what are the major names in this space that, that are playing in, in this uh, pure play exporting sector of the LNG market? So in, in pure play, the, the first three that come to mind for me are you have Chenier Energy, um, which is kind of the original uh, and you have uh, two others that are at this point you could almost they're almost kind of like biotech startups. Copycats. You've got, uh, yeah, you've got Tellurian and you have Next Decade. Uh, and I think the the Chenier story is really really interesting. Um, if you if you go back in time, you know it's almost a decade or so ago now. Um, the <laughs> you, a lot of people don't don't know this. It's 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 kind of mind boggling. Uh, about a decade ago. Um, a little more than a decade. The, the the general consensus in the in the energy industry was the United States was about to run out of natural gas. We um, and it's it's we didn't have any, and, and because all of these traditional um, legacy you know vertical well natural gas um, resources were being consumed, and the the thought process then was, well, we're going to have to start importing natural gas. We're going to have to start getting it from Australia. We're going to have to start bringing it in from, from Africa. We, we, we don't have any. So uh, Sharif Suki, who was the founder, essentially the founder of Chenier Energy, um, said, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm, going to build, I'm going to build an import facility. I'm going to build it in Louisiana, Sabine Pass, and we're going to start bringing natural gas in. And um, that's, that's what we'll do. And this is somebody that had never had any experience in the energy industry. He came, he was an outsider. Um, 
He um, uh, has a lot of uh, business ties in different parts of the world, so he kind of knew where the energy markets were. Um, and at any rate, so he started building this this uh, business, Chenier Energy, as a, as an importer. And uh, then uh, shale happened, and, and fracking and horizontal drilling happened. And over like a th- five-year period, all of a sudden, we're going from you know peak natural gas, we're going to run out to, wow, we're going to have more natural gas than we know what to do with. And um, on one hand, it's like, okay, this, this business is going to die. You know, <laughs> what am I doing here? Uh, and Suki, being a very, very mentally flexible person, said, you know what? Let's just let's just let's let's start over here and let's let's we've we've got the basic framework in place. We need this facility to be here. We just need to use it as an export facility. And of course, the challenge is it's going to take billions and billions of tens of billions of dollars in investment to build the liquefaction facility to turn that gas into a liquid and then put it on the ships versus substantially lower cost to take natural gas off of the ship to regasify it and put it into the the, the gas uh, pipeline system. So anyway, long story short, Chenier's worth what now? T- uh, 10, 12 billion dollars? 15 billion or so. And I think investors, how much how much money have investors made since uh, Chenier went public? What's the uh, what's the what's the round figures here if you were to if you were to guess? 10 bags. Would you guess? Would you guess since since the company Let's say over the past decade, two thousand nine hundred and fifty percent. That's pretty good, right? That's that's pretty good from when your original business model was busted before you ever got off the ground, right? Yeah, and that's essentially that's essentially from the bust about you know over the past about a decade ago, you know, and it's there's it's as it's been a bit of a roller coaster, you know, a few years ago it was it was up almost four thousand percent, and then it dropped a lot during the the last little. Uh, uh, market uh, oil market crash, and then it's bounced back strongly. And the big thing is that this is a cash positive business now, right? It generates su- substantial revenues from its from its export business. It has a lot of long term contracts uh, that are take or you know take or pay contracts. So it's kind of like it's almost like a midstream company, only it's 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 putting it onto ships instead of putting it through pipelines. Uh, and there's more growth to come. You know, there's more growth to come. The company is expanding. It's building more. Uh, more export facilities, um, and it's, it's. I think it's adding another train or maybe two trains to its uh, uh, Sabine Pass facility. So it's 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 not over yet, right? There's still potential growth uh, for this business as, as the demand uh, will continue to grow over the next decade. Sure, Jason. Uh, yeah, to your point, when you talk about uh, talk about you know uh, being a midstream player, it's it's. A midstream player where these projects take years and years and years and billions and billions of dollars of capital just to stand up the business. Uh, so it's very difficult for companies to come in and, and challenge uh, their their position. It takes a lot of time and money to do that. However, as we mentioned, it, just to point out for folks too that the ticker for Chenier Energy is LNG. Uh, for Tellurian, the next decade is Tell and Next for next decade. But the, these companies that are moving in to challenge them, though, uh, to kind of follow in their footsteps. Tellurian uh, and next decade really, you know, also have have a long road ahead of them uh, uh, to, uh, to 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 build these these facilities. However, uh, when you look at Tellurian specifically, they benefit from a lot of that leadership uh, that that led Chenier Energy as they as they scaled up to start off. Can you can you talk about that advantage maybe Tellurian has? Yeah, so Tellurian's advantage is it's got management that's done it before. Uh, but just to use just to use Chenier as an example. 
um, Chenier Energy was generating um, hardly any revenues at all until like 2016. So, you know, if you look at the past 10 years, seven of those 10 years, this is a company that was, you know, generating, you know, maybe $150, $175 million a year in, in revenue, mainly on uh, uh, contracts that was locking up for when it eventually started selling gas. But it was burning through hundreds and hundreds of million dollars a year just to, to keep the lights on and pay its operating expenses on top of the, the billions that it inv invested in building out this infrastructure before it shipped a single cubic foot of natural gas, right? I mean, there's, so, so all of this happened. So and now here it is today. It's a big cash flow business, a positive business. It generated, I don't know what it generated, a billion and a half dollars in revenue uh, or no, excuse me, $9 billion in revenue last year and generated $1.6 billion in positive cash flows. Now let's take that and you look at Tellurian. Tellurian is essentially what, what Chenier Energy was, you know, f six years ago, let's say five or six years ago. It's a business that generates hardly any, any uh, revenues at all. It's burning $115, $120 million in, in operating cash flows every year. And it's a business. It's a it's a business plan. It hasn't broke broken ground on its um, its driftwood facility that it's building in Louisiana. That's where its uh, its liquefaction terminal and export terminal is going to be, uh, and it's not going to be in operation until 2023. So you're looking at you know three years, and that's assuming that everything happens on schedule. And oh by the way, it's going to have to raise between debt between shares it's going to sell and between capital it's going to raise with joint venture partners, it's going to have to raise like $25 billion to, to fund, to fund the construction of that, of that, uh, facility. And it also has, I think three pipelines that it's, that it's trying to build to, um, there's the driftwood pipeline. There's the, there, there's two other pipelines that are going to connect it to, to various, um, to various, um, sources of gas. So at this point, you're, you're buying a business idea. Now, now why is Tellurian a business idea that's worth buying? Well, guess who the founder is? It's Sharif Suki. Um, he was essentially run, run out of Chenier a few years ago by um, Carl Icahn and a few other activist investors. Uh, he left. He uh, joined uh, forces with a former executive from BG Group, uh, which is a name that some people might rec recognize was one of the largest natural gas um, um, integrated majors in the world that had a huge natural gas business. It was acquired by uh, Royal Dutch Shell. So now you have um, two people who have a lot of experience in developing natural gas assets that started uh, Tellurian. And over the past few years since they've started Tellurian, they've brought over uh, you, you could almost describe it as a murderer's row of of management to to run this business. There, uh, uh, what's the CEO's name? Meg. What is her Meg last Gentle, name? Meg Gentle, I think. Yeah, Meg Gentle is the she she um, she's the CEO of uh, Tellurian, and she was right in the middle of of everything that was happening at Chenier when they were going through the same time frame that Tellurian is now in terms of getting funding striking these deals with uh, the big um, the big integrated majors that need to get natural gas. Uh, she was right in the middle of when they were striking all these deals to to get funding to build the facility, signing these long-term contracts um, 
with uh, with the, the companies and the countries that needed this natural gas. And um, so you really couldn't if, if, you, if you were going to invest in a startup business, you, you almost couldn't ask for a better situation than Tellurian um, if you're willing to take on the risk, uh, which in this case, it's, it's really execution risk. Right. You know, they, they have to and, and they have to get all this capital then they have to build miles and miles of pipelines and then they have to build this export facility before before they're going to be able to bring in a single dollar of revenue. So if you have the stomach to kind of ride out the 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 volatility that's going to happen um and really if anything maybe look for you know the business case to remain strong but look for investors to 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 sell out and to give you an opportunity to maybe buy more over time. This is an excellent company to do that if you if you're willing to take on that risk. I'm not saying you're going to get 3000% returns but I think you know the 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 case is pretty clean to 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 get just to, based on cash flows and where the market values um, Chenier Energy today on a cash flows basis. You know this could easily be an eight bagger. You know in say four or five years once the facility is online and producing uh, the cash flows the management's projecting that it will produce. You know it's uh, this this could this could be a seventy dollar stock. Um, you know if 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 everything works out. You know. So if everything doesn't work out and they're able to to come close, this is this still could be a great stock to really to really beat the market. Yeah, when I, and as we spent the whole first half of this show talking about uh, when it comes to the opportunity that's before them, uh, it's really not. There's really no denying where the where the broad trend is. Uh, as you mentioned, it's execution risk. Uh, on next decade, you know, I don't want to spend a ton, you know, a ton of time because we want to move on to some of these other other companies. But where are they kind of differentiated relative to uh, relative to Tellurian uh, and Chenier? How do they maybe stand apart in this story? Yeah, next decade's taken a little bit different approach um, because they're, what they're looking to try to do is they're trying to help uh, oil producers that are producing in the Permian, the Haynesville. Uh, the Eagleford shale uh, plays in Texas that are producing substantial amounts of associated gas, but they don't have a market to take it to. They're not tied into any infrastructure that can take it. So next decade is looking to take advantage of that massive glut of associated gas. Um, and it's possible that if next decade uh, is able to play this right, um, they, they could they could be able to get um, you know associated gas help producers that are that are spending money to flare this gas and getting zero economic benefit from it, and it could help them tap into a really low cost uh, natural gas source from a from a part of, from a place that doesn't really have um, it doesn't really have any infrastructure to get that gas out right now. So that's that's their big play is that they're doing a little bit different is that they're trying to build the pipelines to connect them to the the plays and that's a little bit different than uh, than what Tellurian um, is trying to do with they're just trying to get tied into the gas infrastructure and uh, what Chenier has done with kind of the same thing so next decade is um, is uh, they're 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 looking to operate out of Texas and uh, Tellurian is um, is going to be in in Louisiana um, as as Chenier is is today so that's that's a little bit of Dif- of uh, kind of the differences, their approach is a little bit different on how they're trying to source the gas. Yeah, so it, this is one of those spaces where uh, you know geography really does matter. Being closer to the source of of kind of supply that you're trying to service uh, really really is important. 
Uh, I want to talk a little bit now about kind of some of the picks and shovels that kind of go into this uh, go into this space. We've mentioned the billions and billions of dollars that need to be spent by these be these pure play exporters just to build up these liquefaction facilities and to get the infrastructure ready uh, to turn the you know to turn the machine on and start liquefying this natural gas. And one of the companies that's really going to supply a lot of those guts uh, to the to the these projects is Chart Industries. You talked about them in the past on the show. But uh, for folks who might not be familiar with them, can you give us a kind of a high-level overview of what they do? Yeah, I absolutely love anybody that's that's read any of my articles or heard me bloviate about about chart industries will know that I absolutely love uh, the company. Um, and essentially, what they do is they manufacture cryogenic gas processing and storage equipment. So you think about liquid oxygen, you think about uh, liquid CO two, uh, you think about liquefied natural gas. Um, th- th- Stuff that needs to be really things. cold. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Stuff that needs to be really cold. So whether you need to make that th- stuff cold, um, the, the liquefaction equipment that these that these um, uh, big LNG export facilities will use to turn gas into liquefied natural gas, or if you're talking about um, uh, uh, bio, uh, <clears throat> so uh, biological sciences where they're using liquid liquid oxygen for different things. Um, there's there's lots of these kind of applications, gas processing uh, uh, companies. So there's a lot of industrial industrial gas um, companies. So there's there's lots of lots of different various and sundry applications. Food service, uh, cannabis, so producing like CBD oil and that kind of stuff is a big growth market. But really, the glut, the 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 lion's share of of charts opportunity is tied to liquefied natural gas. So whether you're talking about these big Ten to thirty billion dollar liquefaction and export facilities, or you're talking about what happens on the other end where the gas gets exported to, and then you have the, the the country that's importing that gas. They need to take the LNG and then they gasify it and they put it in their pipeline grid to get it to wherever it needs to be for you know their utilities or for you know local use for people's stoves and ovens in their homes or whatever. So the so this is a company that has strong potential on both ends of the LNG supply uh, and transportation business. Another interesting thing that the chart uh, has, has an interest in now is in the, in the pipelining aspect, the, the, the equipment to help move the gas through the pipelines and the compression. Um, so, so there's like the lots of different little pieces of the business the chart is uh, attached to. They're also a big player in uh, natural gas for transportation. So you think about uh, a big heavy-duty tractor trailer, uh, Class A tractor uh, that uses liquefied natural gas. Uh, chart makes the fuel systems, like the tanks that these guys use, um, the big tanks that um, an LNG um, gas, uh, like at a gas station that has LNG, they make the tanks for that. Um, so there's lots of these various and sundry pieces of the, uh, of the, of the LNG value chain, I guess you could say that, uh, chart chart plays a role in. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of those instances where, you know, you had a company, you mentioned their kind of industrial gas business, their kind of liquid, liquid, you know, uh, I guess pharmaceutical or, or medical, uh, uh, type business. This is one of the, one of those examples of a business that already, already had some operations in place. And now there's this huge, uh, macroeconomic trend that is now kind of they get to ride this wave that they're well positioned for, which really creates a big opportunity for them to grow in a significant way. 
Yeah, it's 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 pretty tremendous. I think, and if you realize, if you think about what the opportunity is for the business, you know, this is a company that's grown its earnings, you know, substantially over the past couple of years, and they reported earnings uh, at the end of October, and uh, they revised down, they down did some downward rev- rev- revisions for their guidance for the rest of this year and for all of next year. But here's the thing. So I think if you look at um, if you look at their revisions. For next year, the company is still calling for like six dollars and fifteen cents per share in earnings. Um, but just for a comparison, uh, the company expects to earn about two eighty a share this year, two dollars and eighty cents. So we're looking at next year, um, you know, more than doubling its its earnings potentially based on its recently revised downward guidance. And that's just that's just twenty twenty. If you think about 2021 through 2025, next year's not expected to be the peak of expansion for bringing these 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 facilities online. For example, Tellurian or next decade, two of the bigger bigger players, um, I mean their their facilities aren't going to be op- in operation until 2023. So there's still multiple years that just these two are going to be investing. And I think Chenier's identified something like two dozen of these. Uh, large-scale uh, LNG facilities that it's in the that it's in the running for that are going to be built over the next three or four years. So there is a tremendous amount of upside for a company that's already grown its earnings to continue growing its earnings over the next four or five years. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. Uh, I want to move on and talk a little bit more about kind of less pure play opportunities when it comes to the LNG space. Um, you know, first off, I guess let's talk about kind of these. Major uh, integrated oil companies or integrated, you know, hydrocarbon companies. When you when you look at, at those major uh, uh, players, which ones have the most exposure uh, to LNG? And if you wanted to get exposure to LNG, which ones would you would you would you pay attention to? So the one that the of, of the integrated majors, the one that has consistently been my favorite uh, is is Shell, and this goes back to um, Shell's acquisition of BG Group. I don't know what's it been now about five years ago, I guess. Um, at the time, BG Group was the lar- you know was the was the largest you know natural gas m- major in the world in terms of the, the portion of its business. Um, and Shell has really made natural gas a big part of its a big part of its future. Um, so in terms of natural gas supply, um, it's a big player in, in LNG as well. So and I think the thing that I like about it is it's 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 a combination of two things, right? If you're going to invest in one of these integrated majors. Uh, you don't want to invest in it just because of something like LNG, but you want the rest of its business to be high quality, um, so that if there are other parts of the uh, the of the oil and gas value chain that aren't doing well, they don't wash out any of the potential upside that you might have from something like like natural gas or LNG. So the thing I like about Shell is that it, the management's done an incredible job of deleveraging the balance sheet over the past few years. They're going to continue to do that. Uh, they've lowered their operating costs. Uh, they've done a really good job of improving their 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 their, their cost of supply. So it's they're producing oil and gas for both cheaper. Um, so they're able to realize more <clears throat> more cash flows, more profit on every unit of of oil or gas that they produce and then sell. Shell has pretty pretty good um, refining operations. It has a decent midstream business, and then because it has prioritized natural gas and LNG. It's able to leverage its global footprint to really monetize those things. So I think if I were going to pick one major um, to invest in, 
looking to benefit from natural gas and LNG, um, I would take Shell. And I, even over Chevron, Chevron's really well known for their their big, like their Gorgon project in, in Australia. Um, and then they have, the, I think it was the Wheatstone project or something. I think it's, I think that's the name. Uh, but so they have they they have a lot of a lot of gas going on. But I just think overall, Shell I think is a higher quality business than Chevron, and that's going to mean that its ability to leverage the the natural gas and LNG opportunity makes it the uh, the major that I would uh, that I would probably pick. Sure. Yeah. And then uh, last kind of two things I want to mention right quick uh, when it comes to kind of exposure to LNG. We got Kinder Morgan, uh, which has uh, their Elba Island facility in Georgia for LNG export, as well as Dominion Energy. You, you don't think of a, uh, a utility as having uh, much exposure here, but they do have uh, an export facility off the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland that just loaded this past week their 100th LNG export ship. When you look at, at these two, uh, anything that excites you about them when it comes to their LNG opportunity? Again, I think that what's it's so again. If it, it, let's let's put these all in buckets, right? So if you're if you're willing to take on risk, the most risk uh, of of permanent loss of capital, you look at the LNG exporters, especially the two smaller guys, the newer ones. Uh, if you're looking for you know some growth potential uh, and you're still willing to take on some risk, but you know you can get a good predictable dividend, that's where Shell comes in, right? Now. If you really want to manage and kind of have like the baseline of the of the best predictability of the business that you can, I think that's where Kinder Morgan and Dominion kind of come in, right? Because you know they they have their predictable revenue streams that are relatively untied to commodity prices. You know they 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 sell a a service, right? Their toll booth service for for moving gas. So, um, or, or supplying energy. So you have, and they're, they're also a little more protected against uh, recession. So you don't have all of those levers that can cause you to lose money. So you might not necessarily realize the best capital returns, but you're going to get the most predictable, highest quality, protected investment. And you do have some upside. It's kind of pointed at where natural gas and where energy demand is going around the world. So if that makes sense, that's kind of where I, where I look at those. And, I, you know, I like Kenner Morgan and Dominion Energy uh, both. I think if I were going to pick between the two, I would probably pick Dominion Energy just because I've never been a very big – I've got – there's just – let's just say that there's um, there's some scars that, that Kinder Morgan put on my soul a few years ago, and I still haven't gotten over them. <laughs> Hey, we, we've all, we've all been there, Jason. Uh, I, I think for our listeners, yeah, to Jason's point, I think there's a lot of opportunities in this LNG space. Whether whether you want to swing for a home run uh, with these kind of pure play major product uh, exporters like Chenier or Tellurian, or whether you just want uh, some exposure to what you know is this massive growing trend uh, through a Dominion or even through uh, you know a Shell. Uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for investors to benefit as this market grows over time. And it just in general, as we across the world want to shift our grid away from uh, you know, dirty, uh, you know, coal more towards clean burning natural gas, particularly as we mentioned off the top of the show, how natural gas can really play nice uh, with these renewables uh, coming down the line. Uh, Jason, just kind of going away. For, for investors that want to get involved in this space and want to you know invest and pay attention going forward, what what should they really pay attention to to monitor their investment and make sure that you know it, it's it's moving along nicely and that the thesis is still intact over time? Yeah, I think I think if I was if I was on the risk averse side, which I'm decidedly not, 
Um, so, so allow me to be a little hypocritical here. Um, I would, I would probably invest in Dominion Energy again, because I think if you're, if you're, if you really want to manage your risk, uh, commodity prices are, are the bane of of your investing existence because you can, you're never going to time your way right. And, you know, prices can stay, uh, much lower, longer than longer, longer than you can say, liquid, I guess, as they, as they say. So, so I would probably say Dominion Energy if you're really about prote- protecting your risk of capital losses. Now, if you're looking for a home run, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I've done and, and why. Um, I, I, I've, I've invested in both Next Decade and Tellurium both, and I own a relatively similar amount of both. It's a small position at this point um, because to, to, to quote um, uh, an anonymous member of the Motley Fool message boards, um, these are the kind of businesses that if they do well, you won't really need a lot, but if they don't do well, you won't really want a lot. Yep. So I limit my losses by reducing my exposure at this point. And over time, I'm going to add to both. I'm going to buy more of both as they reach milestones. So for example, they, they, they start to move forward with breaking ground. They start to get more commitments for funding from joint venture partners. Um, those are, those are the times that I'm going to, those are going to be the business kind of the, the hitting those milestones is going to inform whether or not I buy more, uh, in in each of those companies and managing the risk again, is just, is just managing the size of my, of my holding and, uh, not putting more capital into them that I'm, that I'm willing to, that I'm willing to lose. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jason, as always for coming on the show for our listeners. If you have it, if you're not familiar with LNG, I think this is a space definitely to familiar familiarize yourself with. It's going to grow over time, and I think it's it's a significant opportunity uh, for folks going forward. Jason, thanks for coming on the show as always. Always fun, Nick. Always fun. Hey, let's uh, let's just stay on and do another show. What do you say? <laughs> we'll see. Um, as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on.